Welcome to South London Hardcore, every Monday from southlondonhardcore.com and on iTunes. I'm Jack McEnroy and I'm here with Steve Walsh. Hello. And at this point, Steve, I'm going to let you take over. <laughs> I think you've missed a great opportunity to use uh, the show's tagline when you do an introduction. It's the living lick. It's the living lick. Is that a direct Ian Wright quote from... Yeah. It is That's... from uh, the Graham Taylor documentary. Yeah. It's the thing. I mean, so many great moments. Just to go on from a quick tangent, but it's, it's South London because we come back to Ian Wright, who's uh, you know obviously a very famous South London. It's a great uh, film for a lot of reasons, but the moment where Ian Wright declares that is the living lick, just live with me. As a, as a young man watching it, I was like, that's what a great phrase. Wonderful. Yeah, it's a brilliant documentary. In that oh, just, yeah, Graham just, Taylor in the uh, is it the ninety the ninety four World Cup qualifying campaign? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he comes across as a little bit of a buffoon. And is it... Who's it? Someone nil? I always get it Phil wrong. Phil nil. Is it Phil nil? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the thing is, he comes across as a buffoon, but it's also made very clear, and I suppose, uh, just to go on a quick little thing, because this is what we have to talk about in every episode now. Um, it's very clear that he knows what he's talking about, um, but the players aren't always listening to him. There's a great bit where he's explaining the best way to defend... I think it's defending headers at corners... And he's telling them exactly what to do. And the players are just looking into the distance. They're just like staring at each other, just like bored to tears. So sick of it. Then they cut to uh, the next game they play. And exactly the scenario that he's outlining happens. And they don't defend it properly and the other team score. And like, the point comes across that Graham Taylor may have been dull, but he was an idiot. He definitely knows about football. But mm. it's the start of... You know, money coming to the very players. Much so. Not very much so. <laughs> what's, the, what's the line? Is it very much so? Oh, what is the line? Uh, I want to say, do I not like that? Yeah, not that yeah, yeah. That's a line. So endlessly quotable, endlessly quotable. But yeah, it's the living lick. Uh, is the one that we've chosen. That's Ian Wright with his mates at the uh, dinner table eating pasta and uh, bread. <laughs> bread roll. <laughs> Does he break a bread roll as he says it? He might have do. It's just, uh, it's great. It's the living lick. The the alternative uh, tagline of the podcast team was going to be uh, South London Hardcore is so rainbow rhythms. <laughs> We're not going with that. No. Nah. This week, we're going to talk about the borough, also known as borough. Old Suffolk, Steve, is that a legitimate term? There's so many names and terms for the place. Uh, the, the phrase the borough comes from the longer title of the borough of Suffolk, which was to differentiate it from the city of London across the river. But then, you know, in between time, it's known as uh, uh, the ward of bridge without... It's That's a, great, isn't it? Yeah. I wanted that as a name for the podcast. There was a couple of Suffolk-related things that I was floating as ideas for podcast names. None of them really work. Bridge Without was one. Doesn't make sense to anyone, really, does it? Lakeisha, I don't even really know what that means. Lakeisha found the phrase, didn't she? No. Nah. Did she not? No, she was going with... Um, from the bank or something. <laughs> no, it was something... I'm, I'm afraid to bet it wasn't that. From the bank or something. Not that. Um... But yeah, uh, Bridge Without, we spotted, or you spotted, it wasn't me, so I thought it was Lakeisha, but it must have been you. Having said that, that you know, you're not too sure about the name, um, there is a Twitter account at Bridge Without, which is someone writing about Southwark, and it's really good. Another one was uh, the meaning of the word Southwark, or the root of it, I should say, uh, Southern Defensive Works. Yeah. And I thought that would be a brilliant name as well. That's kind of, that made the shortlist. I don't remember discussing that. Why didn't we go for that? That sounds great. Some defensive work, yeah. But yeah, the South works, the Surrey works, the, yeah, so many different sort of uh, derivations of name. 
Yes, originally the borough of Southwark referred to the entirety of Southwark. Now, when people talk about the borough, it tends to be a very specific area. Well, well, if someone said the borough of Southwark, yeah. they would be talking about the London borough oh, of Southwark. the London borough of Southwark. But if someone says, I'm going to the borough, yeah, I would think... Yeah, then they're talking about that. Uh, the tube station and probably, you know, 500 yards either way. World right. famous market, you know. Yeah, this is it. And that's the thing, the, the, the market is actually quite far away from the station. The market's moved from its original position. It was uh, closer to what we think of the borough itself. Oh, it really yeah, yeah. But the, borough, the, the market's so... I mean, the original market, I think, was 12th century. So it's had plenty oh, of time to shift along with roads and railway lines and whatnot uh, getting in the way. So yeah, the borough now, I think of specifically as the area around... You know, you've got Borough Market, you've got Borough High Street, you've got Borough Tube Station... You can go as far... Apparently, the borough of Southwark goes as far as the Imperial War Museum. So, you, including the Elephant Castle, you're including... So, like, basically, the borders... That'd be the border one, of the... Once you, once you start hitting Lambeth, is yeah. where it stops. But, for, for the purposes of tonight, particularly, we're going to be focusing on uh, the borough. Essentially, as a street. And it, it's remarkable how much history can be pinpointed and piled onto one particular... Even if you chose the one street, there's enough there to be uh, going on with. Borough High Street. Borough High Street. Yeah, but and the, the street itself is where the area becomes important. The area itself becomes a key link between the city of London and the south of England as a whole. The road that links the city to Portsmouth and Dover, and obviously the south of London, runs directly through the borough. And it's because of this, because it's such a busy road that people are travelling through, you get inns and taverns popping up along the length of it for travellers to rest and uh, feed their horses and whatnot. And with... Coach parties welcome. <laughs> with, with the uh, inns, you get other entertainments, so you get the theatres coming. And as, as we, we've talked about before... The regulations south of the river were much more lax than, than in the city. You know, the city was the place of order. The south was not chaos, but it was less regulated. You know, criminals would run across the bridge knowing that if they got to the southern side, once they were in the borough as opposed to the city, the guards couldn't touch them. Like Mexico. Like, exactly, yeah. You, you, you go south uh, to get away from them. Um, and so, you, so you've got this combination of less regulated law... Uh, a lot of inns and taverns, theatres start to pop up, which, as we know, originally are seen as a degenerate form of entertainment for the masses and for the lower orders. Um, so suddenly you've got this potent mix of uh, criminality, drunkenness, theatres, uh, bear pits, ball pits, you know... Uh, ball pits as well. Yeah, cockpits, of course, you know. Any, just like fighting animals, dog pit. It was just this... Pit ball pits. <laughs> you, yeah, you just end up with uh, entertainments, but entertainments that you wouldn't necessarily think of as... Having said that, you know, in the city and in uh, St. James's and Westminster, you've got gambling and gaming, but that's uh, accepted in a way. So that, that the gambling for the upper classes tends to happen there, but the gambling for the lower classes on... Horrific blood sports tend to happen uh, <laughs> in the southern part of the city. Um, yes, yeah, so because you've got uh, this lawlessness, 
there has to be some sort of regulation. But it doesn't really fall to the city. It doesn't fall to the crown. It ends up falling to the church. And the Bishop of Winchester is given uh, the area to look after. And around the 12th century, you know, it's developed to a point where you've got people, you've got these places, you've got disorder. So you get a prison, the clink. Famous. Famous, yeah. Become a term for prisons in general, isn't it? Mm. Clink. Um, yeah, the, the Bishop of Winchester is given the liberty of the clink, is the, uh, the phrase in it. He's given the power over the uh, prison itself and the area around it. So he's in charge of, of regulating things. It doesn't work in the way you'd imagine where suddenly order is restored. It's rather a case of the bishop becomes like a sort of mafioso figure. He becomes oh, just man. the guy in charge of criminality in the area and just licenses things. So the theatre's become licensed. Uh, like a Batman villain. Yeah, essentially, yeah. He, just, he puts it under control. But he's under control in the sense of we can go so far, but not too far. But you've still got criminality and illegality going on. You have prostitution. But you have licensed prostitution. The bishop licenses the prostitutes. So it's not illegal to be a prostitute, but it's illegal to be a prostitute that isn't controlled by the bishop, which is amazing, is really. Yeah. Um, and you get... Um, who, was it? who was the monarch at this point? This would have been sort of 13th century, 12th, 13th century, so I'm not too sure. Uh, <laughs> King Arthur, I think. <laughs> it's Ethelred. I don't even get that. <laughs> he's, he's a very old king. <laughs> the prostitutes that are licensed by the Bishop of Winchester become known as Winchester geese. Um, and at the same time, you get the origin, or a potential origin, of the phrase goosebumps, which is a slang term for VD that develops at the time. It's the mm. idea that if you've got bumps or discoloration on your skin, you've got VD. Of some old goose. From a, a, a goose in the, in the borough. Um, yeah, so you've got the geese and goose bumps. And then because you have that as well, you have... There's a cemetery in, in the borough now uh, called Crossbone Cemetery, which is essentially a prostitute cemetery. It was... Dedicated uh, for the use of uh, single women, was how they phrased it. Um, All the single ladies. <laughs> they didn't have Beyonce to... I've got cold enough, otherwise I would have, like, you know, really gone for that. You've still stood up and uh, shook your backside, though. That's nice. It's nice you've got put that much effort into it. Yeah, and the crossbones recently has sort of come to prominence again, where it was neglected for a long time. But there's a tradition started over the last few years where on Halloween people do a procession towards it and uh, basically like a service of remembrance for the dead that are in there because they were the forgotten dead they were prostitutes that essentially had no one died with no one were buried usually without any sort of uh, markings or remembrance so people just go there to uh, show some respect for people who have died forgotten so you get the inns in the borough inns and taverns at one point 23 of them on Borough High Street. Which is a long enough street, but still 23 a pubs. Lot, lot of options, isn't it? Yeah. You get barred from one, it's fine enough. <laughs> you, can, you go next door. Um, you get the theatres opening up as well. The most famous in the area, probably the Globe. Yeah. Which started in North London. 
what and it slowly uh, drifted. Well, it, it's 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 on wheels, isn't it? Famously, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like a circus. You just uh, pack it down and move it across the. Um, it's like in North London, but uh, it was going to be regulated. Essentially, the uh, um, yeah, they were going to sort of have to adhere to certain rules. So, what did they do? Move it south. Move it south. You're fine. Do what you do. What you need to do. Um, the globe falls into despair over the years, but and it, it eventually the site is replaced with a brewery. So, do you know about the origin of the new globe that's in London now? Sam Wanamaker. Yeah, Zoe Wanamaker's dad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He comes to London uh, to see the globe. Where's the globe? Where's this globe fit? Heard <laughs> so much about. <laughs> Gets to the borough, uh, can't find a globe, there's a brewery in its place, and uh, a blue plaque on the side of the brewery going, yeah, there was once uh, mm. a theatre, it's not, it's a brewery now. So he's like, we need to rebuild the globe. The brewery won't move. They're like, no, we're here now. So he has to move the site to where the, the, the new globe is now, which is a, a sort of a replica of, a Disney-fied, obviously, replica yeah. of the globe. But, um, yeah, in the wrong place. But it's fine because it was in uh, a different place anyway. So, have you been there? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I actually went to see. Uh, I went to see a fellow there in the groundings as well. Did it properly. What's that mean? Yeah, uh, it's the bit where you uh, you don't. They have like the seats around, but you had the the, the bit um, where the commas would go, and you basically just stand or sit on the floor. Mm-hmm. And you can buy cheaper. Like, it's yeah. It's it, seriously. It's very cheap to go in there and do that because you, you're standing up for three hours you, you shouldn't be paying the full wave you can get cushions um, as you could at the time it's, it is all about sort of trying to replicate authenticity yeah. yeah yeah one um, what was the occasion bonfire night maybe me and Lakeisha and my dad wandered up to uh, that area Bankside I suppose yeah and um, there was some street theatre but I think uh, I think it was outside the globe, but they were doing some kind of Guy Fawkes thing. Forgettable, obviously. <laughs> you um, looked at the globe as a potential uh, wedding venue as well, didn't you? Did we? Yeah. Said so, no. Which weirdly though. Well, you looked. You looked on. Uh, there was a website for odd wedding venues, and Lakeisha pointed out the globe, but her context was the globe. Doctor Who. Yes! <laughs> and you sort of said, you know that it was before Doctor Who. She's like, I oh, know that, obviously, yeah. but for her, the reference uh, was. So, when in the Doctor Who episode, I had to keep going on about the series, it's not a Doctor <laughs> Who podcast. But you uh, love it so much, you just like determined to shoehorn it in. Did they film at the current globe as the original globe? I didn't see that episode because I'm not a huge Doctor Who fan, which. Uh, uh, well, let's, well, let's and you're move not. on. But <laughs> wedding, potential wedding venues. Um, I did look at one that was suggested by a friend, Glenn. The Hop Exchange on Southwark Street. Do you know it? I don't know it, no. Yeah, it's this huge... Um, it's basically a huge room with a load of sort of balconies running along the side. Huge ceiling. I think it's even a glass ceiling. And it's used for corporate events now. But originally it was obviously a Hop Exchange. Um, I don't know, 19th century or whenever. So that would be the hops coming up from the country to go to the brewers to process into them. Same brewer, presumably. Yeah, I'd imagine, yeah. It would be... Yeah. Really, really lovely inside. Really, really nice. The thing is, if they've got 23 pubs running along High Street, can't have enough brewers, can you? You need a hop exchange. You need at least one hop exchange. 
So let's say with the inns and the theatres opening up, you get prisons. The clink is the most famous. You also get the Marshall Sea and the King's Bench, which are debtors' prisons. And that's a whole other aspect of, of the way that life sort of develops around there, where you have the clink for criminal activity, but then the debtors' prisons, which essentially become money-making institutions. If you're in there, you can sort of pay for better service. There were like restaurants available in there. Something's never changed, I suppose. Yeah, this is the thing. You, if you've got the money, you can. You, you, the prison's a very different uh, experience. So a history develops of criminality and punishment in the area. But alongside those, and sort of intertwined with them, you get another tradition uh, developing. So with the inns, you think of it in terms of bawdy and rowdy. But at the same time, I think you can argue that an inn in the borough gives us the birth of English literary tradition. Go on. Chaucer's Canterbury Tales. The pilgrims meet at the Tabard Inn in Tabard Street in the borough. That is literally the starting point for the Canterbury Tales, which most people would say is the start of uh, conventional English literary tradition. It's interesting because almost immediately it's the start of something. It's so broad and all-encompassing that it sort of... And this is, I guess, why it establishes so many foundations. Up to this point, the literature that the English people have had has been about or for the upper classes because they're the people who can read they're the people who are commissioned to work they're the patrons of the work they're largely who the work's about the work is about noble people doing brave and courageous things and looking great in the process or you know fantasy fairy but even though it's fairy queens and fairy kings it's all about uh, royalty and the upper classes doing well Chaucer comes along and almost immediately creates what doesn't look too different from what we would call reality television. <laughs> it gives you a cast of... Wife of Bath. Everyone. It's everyone. It's Desperate Scouse Wives. <laughs> exactly. You can make a link. You can look at all the tales he chooses and look at it uh, and extrapolate to throughout English history, history up to today. And, and see what he's done. And, you know, the, the Canterbury Tales is essentially... If it was on uh, E4 now, you wouldn't think twice. The idea of following uh you know it sounds like a pitch to uh a terrible channel doesn't it where you sort of go what we're gonna do is take all these people that aren't really going to get on they're going to argue and they're going to tell stories and that we're going to just follow them on a journey they're going to go on a trip we don't know where they're going to coach go, trip, yeah it? it's a coach trip. they go along and like they're, they're, they're literally the tv show oh, is there... <laughs> my mum's a big fan there you go it's uh it's essentially the canterbury uh canterbury tales um so yeah straight away chaucer writes about people that aren't normally written about. He writes about normal people who have jobs and do things and chat. And also the way they talk and interact. The, the language he uses is the language of the people. So it becomes accessible in a way. You obviously, you haven't got literacy to a level that it's, you know, general. It's not, it's not Coronation Street. It's Coronation Street in tone, but it's not Coronation Street in terms of reach. But still, the ambitions there and the traditions established, the idea of writing about normal people... Uh, and their lives suddenly becomes a thing that people do. That tradition's continued. You know, Chaucer does this in the 13th century. In the 17th century, another great English writer, Shakespeare, 
does William. Correct. That's that's the Shakespeare we're talking about. Does for uh, the theatre what Chaucer has done for literature. Chaucer wrote in a verse style, so you can say that he took poetry and brought it to the general masses. Shakespeare, his plays as popular with the masses at the time as they were with it was still with Shakespeare a lot of it is you look at it there's a, a lot of royal characters a lot of noble characters but within the plays a lot of very ordinary characters as well and usually uh, the best characters or the wisest characters you know famously in King Lear the king loses his mind and his fool his jester is the only one that sort of is talking sense he's still talking as a fool but he's one that sees clearly what the situation is and he's trying to warn everyone and no one pays any attention to him. So again, you've got this great writer doing groundbreaking work and giving a voice to the people around him. This tradition again, and, and of course Shakespeare, the Globe Theatre just around the corner, Shakespeare, Marlowe, Johnson, all would have drunk in one of the many inns on the Borough High Street. The, the, the names of taverns at the time crop up in his plays so he's clearly drawing upon it as direct inspiration for the work he's doing and that ties into the next sort of link in the chain um, where in the 19th century you've got the great English tradition continued by Charles Dickens who again writes about normal people uh, writes about society as a whole in the same way that uh, Chaucer and Shakespeare did and again has experience formed in the borough. Dickens's father, when Dickens is 12, his father is sent to the Marshalsea. He's sent to prison as a debtor in the Marshalsea. He stays there for a few months. Dickens is pulled out of school because his family has no way to support himself and is dragged from school and sent to work in a factory that's directly opposite the prison his father's kept in on the borough high street. Oh, wow. So this 12-year-old boy is suddenly faced with essentially workhouse conditions, the iniquities of uh, the debtor's prison and his whole life's thrown upside down. When he becomes a writer, he writes about children who are dragged away from their lives and thrown into workhouses. He writes about men who are thrown into debtor's prisons and given no chance of release. There's a guy um, Great Expectations. Well, yeah. But it, What's the guy's name? McCorber. Yeah. There's Well, there's... Uh, the Pickwick Papers, David Copperfield, uh, Nicholas Nickleby, Little Dorrit, all feature... Mystery of in... Edmund... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Mystery of Edwina Drew. It's all, it's all there. Um, and that legacy lives on in the area today. If you look at the roads that lead off of Borough High Street, a lot of them have... There's a Copperfield Road. A lot of them have... Isn't it like Little Dorrit Way? There's, well, there's, a, there's actually a little, little Dorrit Gardens there now. There's a, a play area for children because and you know plays on the whole idea of Little Dorrit having this horrific life and the idea of giving uh, the local children a better life than urchins from the 19th century so where's Dickens from? he was born in Portsmouth so we can't claim him no and, it, and he, Shakespeare obviously Bleak House is in um, Broadstairs isn't it? Bleak House yeah did he die in did he die in Broadstairs did he live there in his adult life or something? I don't know where he died and so, uh, out of the three writers that we're talking about here, Chaucer is the only Londoner. And we can't 
know exactly where he was born or where he was from. The record's just unclear on that. Well, I mean, the, the school Geoffrey Chaucer was in Peckham, so that's good enough well, for me. Yeah. <laughs> and also the fact that, you know, it's not a coincidence that he chooses the Tabard Inn. You know, uh, he, it was obviously, again, again with, with Dickens, with Shakespeare, with Chaucer, you're talking about a spread from the 13th century to the 17th century to the 19th century. They all would have drunk in the same pubs. And those pubs would have been on the Borough High Street. I've been to a fair few. I mean, that makes me sound like a drunkard, doesn't it? <laughs> you can go to them. It yeah, I don't exactly. drink at all. No. I've uh, ended up there wanting to watch a football match in the area. And like, yeah, it's like you say, it's just all pubs, isn't it? Yeah. Still all pubs. There's only one uh, that survives from the original sort of... So oh, yeah. uh, the, the George is the only one that's uh, survived. Is that just off the main... Through the court? I don't know how to get to it. But I've got it written down on a bit of paper. It doesn't tell me <laughs> how to look through and see where... See, I think we can make an argument that... I mean, if you, if you look at... As a single road, as a place mm. for influences, Chaucer, Shakespeare and Dickens, if you're going to choose three English writers... Arguably, our most important poet in Chaucer. I'd call him a poet, even though, because it is verse one he writes in. Um, our most important playwright in Shakespeare, definitely, isn't it? There's no yeah. question about it. Our most when you important... say hour, you mean the world's. Yeah. <laughs> uh, our most important uh, novelist in Dickens, I would say. Mm. I don't fit anyone. You can argue, but I'd be wrong. No, right? you wouldn't argue with any of those three. No. The three yeah. biggest uh, influences in British. Uh... Literature, English, English. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> they need to drag uh, colonies <laughs> into it. <laughs> you know, it's fine. I haven't got a passport, Jack. I can't be using those phrases, can I? Come on. So, alongside this sort of literary tradition, independently, obviously, but it's, it's interesting again that you, from such a small area, you can draw uh, these other things. You get the idea of, of it being a wellspring of culture. Um, and it's an odd sort of, it's a tenuous link, but uh, John Harvard in the 17th century is born in the borough. Yeah, that was um, an amazing fact to stumble across. Incredible. We kind of stumbled across it independently, didn't we? Yeah, I, I literally stumbled across yeah. it. I was going to... Uh, I mean, Harvard University, maybe the most famous university in the world. Yeah, yeah. Uh, named after... Uh, a guy from the borough. Yeah. Yeah. Who just happens to move to Massachusetts, dies... Uh, leaves his local college, his library, and some money. They do well with it. It's done all right. They've they? done all right. They've, they've taken that money, spent it wisely. Didn't blow it on like a you know new computer suite with like <laughs> eight, <laughs> you know BBC Acorn Electrons. They knew what they were doing. RM Nimbus. Yeah. So suddenly, and yeah, also, the, the fact that Harvard's born there and moves to America and helps to fund is, is entirely independent from. Yeah. but it's interesting that suddenly you've got to see this place that's known initially for nothing but criminality and destruction and just it's 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 a place on the way to places it's not a place in and of itself but yeah very much so. out of the inns and the taverns and the prisons come these works and suddenly this terrible thing has become you know a place where wonderful things happen and the tradition continued into the 20th century um on the Borough High Street today, you've got David Bomberg House. Do you know David Bomberg? Who? <laughs> well, it's also what as well, because uh, it's halls of residence for South Bank University. Uh, and Dave, David Bomberg taught at South Bank University. LSBU. Only he didn't. 
he taught at the Borough Polytechnic, which was what Southbank University was called oh, before it was that. given university. So I never realised that until because I've read about it's this. It's not a prestigious university, is it? It's not, but I'd say it's there's certain areas. It's a university, yes. But with uh, there's certain things with like languages and a lot of vocational courses, particularly sort of uh, medical and nursing courses. I happened oh, to okay. go there for an open day with someone. Oh, well, and okay. just uh, I had no interest again. Someone just was a, a, a bit of support. So asked me to go along, and I was like, I'm "It's funny. To. It's such a. I mean, this is off topic. It's such a kind of hideous building. The bit where you know the bit on is it London Road? Yeah, where, yeah, where, sure. where all the buses yeah, get past. Yeah. The modern bit, really horrible looking. But if you go to the bit that's on, is it Borough Road? The other side of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really nice looking, yeah. like front entrance, but you just don't you don't really pass that way. There's that odd thing as well uh, with the London Road bit going up towards. Uh, is it St George's Circus? The sort yeah, of, yeah. They've got that those fake uh, shop fronts. Yes, so George's Circus is the next circus along where the twelve goes in it. Oh right, sorry, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was about it was while I was still at school. I left school in two thousand and one. I used to go past it on the bus like every day, and I don't remember what was there before. No, they started either. doing some they put scaffolding up. Yeah, and then they put up some fake shop fronts in front of it. And ten years later, you've still got a picture of a deli. I assumed it was some sort of art project to do with the university. No, I, my assumption, which uh, I'm sticking by, Stick with um, is that they ran out of money. Man. Okay. Someone started developing it and they realised that they could only afford massive photos of people in shops rather than <laughs> actual shops. I don't know, I could be wrong. Seems like a bit of a waste, the thing is, it? But San Jose was in a big boom time. It's not like, you know, no, when, yeah. when the bottom fell out the economy. The thing is, putting up pictures of people in shops is initially cheaper than building a shop but what you realise quite quickly you're not generating any money are you? No. It's a photograph. No one's actually spending any money exactly. in that shop. So they never get beyond that purchase do they? No. People? To be fair they don't even make that purchase because they're pictures. It's a false economy. False economy. David Bomberg taught at Borough Polytechnic but is much more famous uh, as a painter in of himself. He was a uh, he is. I, I was so pleased to find this out because um, he's probably my favourite painter of all time, uh, and I get a chance to talk about yeah. him on the show legitimately. You talk about him, Steve. I'm going to go and Google him. <laughs> yeah. You're going to Google him? Yeah, you, you, I'm going to Google him while you talk. Okay, this is this is happening live, yeah. This is happening live. But I should be talking to you about it, and then I'm listening. Well, it's not worth asking you if you've seen it. Well, actually, I'll, I'll describe it and then we can uh, discuss. Oh, kind of triangles. Yeah. Oh, uh, he's just, it, he's, it comes from a cubist tradition. Oh, this is, oh, yeah. Lovely. Oh, yes, yeah, some of it's very nice. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, he comes from a sort of cubist tradition. uses, like, a geometric abstraction of the human form in particular. That's what I like about it. A lot of, sort of, natural things he does in very, sort of, geometric ways. He's aligned briefly with the vortices who are definitely my favourite, actually, them and uh, Fluxus. The Voices are one of my favourite sort of artistic movements, um, which was a sort of futurist movement founded by uh, Wind and Lewis in the early part of the He quickly moves away from the Voices, doesn't like what they're talking about. Um, and this, it's a pattern in Bomberg's life. He, he goes to uh, art school at the Slade, a very prestigious institution, but uh, is expelled because uh, Noddy Holder went there. 
I think the reason he was expelled, they were concerned that he wasn't painting things how they look. Uh, uh, and I'd uh, like to think that's the case. Yeah, that's not like, what an apple looks like. You, yeah. You know, clear off. It's less square than that, David. Um, yeah, so he does these wonderful, let's say, particularly his, his figure work. He did a painting uh, that I saw as a teenager. And sort of, you know, when you're a teenager and you just sort of leave and you go, that's just the best thing ever. Um, and then like, you grow older and you think, that's not, is it? It's rubbish. Isn't it? <laughs> um, but I stand by uh, the uh, mud bath, which is a painting he did, which is essentially human figures in a mud bath, but it's not. It's, uh, as I say, abstracted shapes. But the wonderful thing is, even though it's uh, abstraction, you, you can definitely make out its figures. And then some are submerged and uh, leaning over each other. Wonderful. Uh, great piece. But yeah, he goes on to teach at... Borough Polytechnic, and in the 40s becomes the figurehead of what becomes known as the Borough Group, which is a, a set of artists who all work and study at Borough Polytechnic and share ideas, and they, it all sort of falls collective. under. Yeah, essentially a collective, yeah. Um, one of his pupils is um, a painter called Frank Auerbach. Oh, yeah, I'm familiar with his name. I thought you were going to Google it. Yeah. But yeah, he's um, he's part of the borough group and a, a pupil of uh, Bomberg. So it's a, a genuine legacy mm. to this work as well. But I also love the idea of there being a borough group. You know, you know about the Bloomsbury set. We know about all these, you know, the, in the lakes you have people working on one. There's traditions throughout uh, the country and, and more prestigious and well-known uh, traditions. But the borough has a genuine artistic school and tradition, um, the, the borough group. At the moment, and again, it's wonderful sort of serendipity. At the moment, South Bank University is trying to organise a permanent exhibition of work by the borough group. So they're trying to get together some Bombergs, some Arbacks, some uh, from the other people and get it together. And that's supposedly opening, the date they've given is spring 2012. So hopefully it'll be soon and we can put links up and have a look at it yeah yeah actually yeah it's a good good shout in the meantime i'm going to take uh this vague opportunity to post a picture of the mud bath up on the website just because uh what a you've great got copyright on it <laughs> bomberg ain't swimming me <laughs> it's not a cultural point in the same way as the sort of literary links that we've made or the sort of artistic tradition that we've talked about in the borough group but Another interesting thing about the borough. The borough is on the first underground tube line that London gets. The Northern Line, is it? It becomes Northern Line at this point. It's like it's, it's called the Sea in Southern Line. But essentially, it's the first underground uh, tube network in London. It's funny that the, the line that goes the furthest south and sort of serves South London probably the best is called the Northern Line. They can't help themselves, can they? They've just got to, <laughs> you know... Yeah screw us over every single time but so, it's nice I think the fact that the tradition of the borough as a waypoint between the city and the north of the river and towards the south sort of continues with this tube line opening up have you ever been to the market I have but not for ages yeah I've only sort of passed through it's one of those sort of things where I don't really have that kind of money I mean it is fancy and nice you know my policy on food. I'm not... I'm Why pay for it if you can get it out of a bin? <laughs> That's not a written policy, but it's like I'll, you know, I'll work with... 
No, I'm, I haven't got borrow market money, have I? To be spent no. on cheese. There's some nice coffee cheese places. Cheese is anyway. Cheeses, yeah. But there's the Mom Monmouth Coffee. Yeah. As well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of it's the sort of place you can turn up at and find somewhere decent to have a have something to eat, which is not the case everywhere in South London, is it? No, this is true. Famously, when we go to Peckinplex to make use of their five pounds. Uh, all day, every day. Sounds like an advert now. They're not sponsoring us. They ain't giving us any money. Um, but yeah, when we arranged to meet in Peckham, let's go to McDonald's, isn't it? You don't want to go to McDonald's. No, there's literally nothing else. But yeah. I was walking, um, I had to go to the bank um, at lunchtime the other day and I ended up going via Bellenden Road. Oh, right. And we'll probably talk about Bellenden Road more at a later date because it's kind of an interesting little uh, enclave. Yeah. And they'd probably love that, the Bellenden set. <laughs> but no, it's only, that's sort of, Six or seven minutes walk. So if we genuinely wanted to have a coffee first, it but would be worthwhile. But are those coffee places going to be open at eight o'clock at night? That's there might be one or two, potentially. Mm. There's a better chance of finding anywhere in Peckham, obviously. Yeah. Just McDonald's. I mean, you know, when I say Peckham, I mean Rye Lane, which is what is, that's a real Peckham, isn't it? Yeah. Well, if you're going to the Peckham Plex, you know, we're not going to go down to... False economy, isn't it, if you're spending five quid on coffee, I suppose. One of my favourite things about doing the show is looking at places that I don't normally look at and one of the things generally that I enjoy looking at is how places shape people and people shape places and I think the borough is one of my favourite examples of that so far where you get this place that geographically is in this position where it's between places socially and politically it's sort of pushed away and because of that the inns and the theatres turn out these places that are refugees for outcasts because of the, you, you, these refugees for outcasts you get problems you get prisons so you get all these things that sound like a, a recipe for disaster and yet from that from the inns Chaucer creates the Canterbury Tales from the theatres you get Shakespeare working creating timeless pieces that are still looked at today from the prisons, you get Dickens inspired to create, again, novels that we're still reading now, that, you know, are still being adapted and talked about and thought about. It's Dickens' 200th birthday this week. And What'd you get? <laughs> I'm getting some retweets on Twitter. Uh, my favourite one being, uh guy just put up a tweet that said, man likes Dickens. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It's true. So, yeah, you have this place that is... Uh, a refuge for exiles and yet becomes you know a single street that's probably the most important street in English literature history we can say that can't we you, you just have to I have I'll back you up <laughs> two of us against the world if you can think of another street in real life don't be coming up with like streets from books that Stella don't, Street yeah don't you know that's not going to count if you can think of another street, road, I'll even give you postcodes. Madison more Avenue. Important. <laughs> that's more important for English history than Borough High Street. We're not going to say, are they? They're not going to. But it gives us a great chance to link to yeah. our contact details. Twitter, at SLHC Podcast. Find us on Facebook as well. Type it in, South London Hardcore, and you'll find it that way. And our website, southlandhardcore.com. Yeah. Well, we'll be putting up some supplementary images from this week. Mainly, I'm putting up the mud bath by Bombo, just because it's a really good picture. Um, probably put up something to be Chaucer. 
Dickens, Shakespeare as well. All those. All the greats. <laughs> Thanks for listening. See you next time. Good luck and good night. Or was it the other way around? <laughs> good night and good luck. <laughs> good, good nights and good lucks. Mm-hmm.